afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zune, and all major podcast providers. You can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter to find out about upcoming guests, features, events, and other shows on our network. If you have any questions or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or send us an email to questions at theorganicview.com. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Patricia Foreman, who is an amazing, amazing person, and she has authored several books, one of which we're going to be talking about today, which is called City Chicks. For those of you that have thought about raising chickens, it's something that is actually not that hard to do, but you really need to know what you're doing. And also you have to be considered the fact that in the area that you may live, it may not be prohibited. More and more people are actually raising chickens due to the inhumane practice of factory farms and also the use of antibiotics for folks that wish to grow food organically, locally, and sustainably. Raising chickens has been the most popular method to do the right things for the environment as well as for yourself. Now, across America, municipalities are allowing and even encouraging residents to keep laying hens within city limits. And in the book City Chicks, Patricia Foreman gets into everything that you need to know as far as raising chickens, how to keep them safe, and also how to just really develop a relationship. And some people are discovering what's called a chicken whisper, which Pat will get into a little bit later. I had the pleasure of meeting her at the Mother Earth News Festival, and she had the star of City Chicks, Ms. Oprah Henfrey. And let me tell you, what a beautiful, beautiful bird. So I would like to welcome to the show, Pat Foreman. Good yeah. afternoon, Pat. Yeah, hi, June. It's it's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much for having me as a guest. Thank you, Pat. How many books do you have out at this point? <laughs> well, it depends how you count them, June. I, get, uh, I would say uh, five. We'll go with five. <laughs> wow. And, you know, just watching you with Oprah Henfrey was – you could tell – how much love you have for your chickens. It's not just some type of kooky hobby. It's something that you're very <laughs> passionate about. And you could tell by the relationship between you and Oprah, Oprah Henfrey, should I say, um, yes. <laughs> that, you know, you you definitely have that special bond with her. And I think that's very important. And it's interesting. People don't respect chickens. They don't understand how smart they are and how caring they are. I mean, it's interesting. When I grew up on my parents' farm, we would see mother hens just care for other other babies. Mm-hmm. And human beings won't even do that. It's amazing. Human beings, <laughs> they won't take in another person's child, but yet with chickens, especially hens, they will care for another being's offspring and treat them and raise them as their own. Well, they they can sometimes. You, it is they will just take another a little baby chick under wing, so to speak. But there's also times when they'll reject them, and uh, pretty be, be be pretty mean to them. So they they do have their uh, they do have their peculiarities, just just like people in so many ways. Yeah, Junior, you were talking about uh, Oprah Henfrey and how she, I mean she really is 
was the star, I must admit. I was just her sidekick in so many ways <laughs> because, because she's there. You know, so many people have never never seen a live chicken before. It, it's been amazing to me at just about every every place I go, uh, much less been able to touch one and pet them and to see that, that you don't have to, you know, they're not these uh, brainless, squawking, flighty, you know, dirty uh, beings that, that both, uh, it's just kind of an archetype that is, comes to people's minds. So she's really a poultry ambassador out there changing changing the archetype and the way people look and view chickens. So, You know, it's interesting. I think part of that reason is because we are so completely disconnected um, with agriculture. Um, I recently had Joel Saladin on the show, and he was talking about just the not only the books that he's written but just some of his own personal experiences and observations and people are completely disconnected with agriculture i mean it's interesting when you talk to kids about chickens most of them have no idea that they have feathers they have no idea what they sound like they think that chicken is basically something that comes in the shape of a dinosaur not even a real shape of a dinosaur and uh, well, it's it and ready to heat and serve. They do. Uh, chickens have descended from dinosaurs. In fact, there's, there is a little bit of Tyrannosaurus rex in your little feathery backyard friend. <laughs> but, uh, but well, yeah, they're, they're amazing creatures. They truly are. Yeah, and it's, it's a shame because it, they're really wonderful. I mean, they can be alarm clocks. They can be very affectionate. They're just great when it comes to helping you keep some of the little pests away from your your tomatoes. Hopefully they won't nibble too much on your lettuce. They're just great to have in every yard. And personally, I think chicken manure is probably the best as far as fertilizer. Well, it is. Uh, in fact, it's interesting that the chicken manure has, a, has an NPK, you know, nitrogen, potassium, uh, phosphorus levels that rival commercial agriculture. And, of course, in, when it's in the right place and in the right amounts, it becomes such a valuable asset or organic asset to uh, to backyard agriculture. And that's one of the places where chickens shine. One of their skill sets is, is providing uh, organic, uh, non-toxic local agriculture, as well as you'd mentioned being uh, pesticiders. I mean, chickens are voracious carnivores, and um, they can... They'll, they'll go around and literally glean ticks and fleas off your yard, as well as grasshoppers and moths and even slugs. So um, they can uh, they can substitute us for some of the pesticides that we've got. And there's quite a bit to learn about that. I mean, in some ways, we're still exploring how to how to employ chickens in local agricultural systems, but uh, they're pretty handy. Yes, exactly. And what I think is also nice is that um you know you're you're dealing with um another being that is basically a natural fit for the environment whereas all of these chemicals that we constantly keep dumping uh it winds up back into our bodies and people just don't get that but it's interesting that so many people are taking classes, buying books, um, you know, just asking for information about how they can raise chickens in their own backyards. And you know something, you don't need to have a big farm in order to do that. No. What no, what, are, what are some of the trends that you've seen, Pat, as far as uh, in the urban areas? Well, June, what's wonderful is, is in the past five years alone, over 500 towns and cities have, have changed their laws to allow residents to keep keep chickens, 
I mean, the trend has not even started to crest yet. I know across, and that's across North America, not not just only the U.S. but also Canada. Um, and what's also interesting is, is in, in England, they're, they're wondering, what's the big deal in America about chickens? They don't quite get why we don't all just have chickens in our backyards, those who want them. And the, the response to that is, well, well, after World War II, June, Europe knew what it was to be pummeled and to have, have sh- food shortages. So in, in truth, in most of the European countries, the chickens never left the backyards because they were so much of the local food supply during those war years. And it was so valuable. So in many ways, we're coming back round to, um, uh, to to a back to the land movement that I think is even more significant than it was in the 60s, you know, with Helen and Scott nearing. But this time, the back to the land movement is to people's backyards. And that's what's so exciting because we're discovering that it really can grow a lot. I mean, a lot of, of uh, produce and, and food on small plots of land uh, between the development. So it's oh, a yeah. time we're in. Mm-hmm. Especially with, um, I mean, I I just had Sylvia Bernstein on talking about um, aquaponics, and mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many things that we can do, and the education is getting out there. And the bottom line, when you have you have these agrochemical companies saying that, oh, there's going to be a shortage of food, and we need to push forward with GMOs in order to be able to accommodate that population, it is such a marketing scheme. It, it's just it's propaganda that they're pushing in order to sell GMOs. And the bottom line is, is that people have food around them. We have so much food. It's just we don't recognize what is food. And unfortunately, um, because of the fact that we did change after World War II, I mean, we went through this, this – um, phase where we stopped using the lawn for, or or land rather, for Mm -hmm. agricultural means, and we started getting more into ornamental land, if you will, where the the front lawn was something that was not used for agriculture. It was basically a piece of land that was kept just for ornamental reasons and nothing more. And now there's a resurgence. I'm starting to see more and more people that are using their front property, planting different types of gardens, whether it's an herb garden, rock garden, you know, all sorts of different things. They're trying to really change the landscape and make it more friendlier for pollinators, but also more productive as far as for culinary purposes, so on and so forth. So that's a very nice change to see. And I think a lot of that does have to do, as you pointed out, with the economy, because more and more people are being forced because they don't have the money to go out. They're planting containers. They're planting in their own gardens at home. They're making gardens. They're participating in community gardens in some of the city areas so that they can not only participate and get back some of the vegetables, but, you know, contribute. And it does help communications within the community. So it's it's a really big plus side to this this economy tanking for the last couple of years. So it's you know, it's interesting how things happen and I think the fact that all these things have come about at the perfect time as you pointed out. Isn't there a movement that's going on with backyard chickens, Pat? Oh, absolutely. There there there's an incredibly strong movement going on with with backyard chickens. And you know, what what you were saying uh June how people are converting so much of their lawns to uh, to food production or to edible landscape. 
one of the interesting statistics that that I really find fascinating is, is uh, you probably know the answer to this, but but what, what's the most uh, fertilized, irrigated, and fertilized? What's the most irrigated, fertilized crop in America? The most irrigated and fertilized crop in America, and a lot of people will say corn or soybeans or, or cotton, and no, it's not marijuana either. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but what it is is we've got over uh, about 30 to 40 million acres of lawn, fescue, grass. So and 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 um, and that doesn't include horse farms, but it, it does include parks and of course in people's yards and back, backyards, front yards, um, green space. So so Robert Rodale just before he died um said that he felt you know Robert Rodale of Prevention Magazine and um mm-hmm. uh organic gardening he felt that the farm of the future would be these hyperproductive chinks you know chinks is a little that little thing mortar between the brick these these hyperproductive chinks of land between the subdivisions between the development and and I think he's absolutely right and that's why this back to the land movement is so strong it's because we've got land that's already irrigated and fertilized or has access to that and we can turn it into hyperproductive chinks of land uh, to grow a lot of our food and and of course the common statistic that goes around with the uh, with the victory gardens of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt in World War 2 is is they produced uh, 40% of all the produce that was consumed in America during those war years and of course that was before the artificial and plant enhancement products really came into being uh, they 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 generally came in right after World War II, after 1945. So, so there is a tremendous prote- potential uh, and possibility for food production locally, but we need a paradigm shift. We need a different view of of how we produce our food and and what really local food does mean that does mean to to local economies. You know, enter enter Occupy Backyard. <laughs> That's right. Occupy backyards. Can I tell the story about Oprah Henfrey? Please. Yeah, I was I was doing a, a book tour in California. It was a six week book tour, and and on the second day of the the tour, I was in uh, Santa Barbara and giving a presentation, an evening presentation at the Santa Barbara Public Library. Beautiful building, really upscale. And I had uh, Oprah Henfrey, uh, Buff Warpington uh, Hen, was on my arm, just sitting there, you know, as as I was fiddling with the microphone. And I was up by the podium, and she decided to hop up on the podium. And, of course, there's about 150 people or so in the audience going, oh, my God, you know, the loose chicken, what are you going to do? And and I knew she wouldn't go anywhere, so I, I finally got my microphone figured out. And she had then proceeded to the top of the podium. You know, and then she started going. <laughs> so I just put the microphone up there. <laughs> she came over the loudspeakers talking. <laughs> we finally figured out she was trying to speak to represent the 99% of all the chickens in the world <laughs> who don't have a voice, and and calling forth to occupy backyards where chickens can enable local agriculture. So. Occupy Backyards movement uh, that's going on with with chickens. I've actually been honored by Tom Theobald, who has named one of his chicks. He named one of his chicks last year, who's um, really quite a pretty bird. Um, She's got blondish feathers, and he calls her his his June chicken. So now I officially... (laughs) I must be doing something right. I have a chicken that's named after me. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's great. And, well, I could name uh, a chicken after you. I'm in one of the. 
<laughs> I just think it's great. Now, um, Pat, what is the first thing that people need to know about before they go out and start buying all this stuff? How do you know that raising hens is for you? Well, that, that's a really good question, and that's, that's something people all actually torment themselves over. And, and I think what they need to know is, is just don't be afraid of them. The chickens are easier to keep than, than dogs, and, and they're, 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 they're just such easy beings. They're such easy keepers, and they can be kept in such a relatively small space. Uh, and they'll literally work for chicken feed, which is, which is uh, you know, not that much. There's a saying, June, that goes, first people get chickens, then they fall in love. And I've heard that from people over and over and over again saying, oh, I wish I had done this decades ago. Why did I wait so long? You know, my husband drug his feet and finally, finally convinced him, and now he can't, he can't stop watching and being with the chickens. So um, I would say just do it. And and it doesn't take that much. Um, They're very simple to keep. The equipment's not expensive. Coops are easy to build, and you can build very elegant ones and whimsical ones, but they don't have to cost you know three four hundred dollars necessarily. So, uh, on the other hand, I know people that have chicken coops that are designer built and designed by architects, and they're thousands of dollars. So. Uh, yeah, people people yeah. tend to go a little overboard. It's like composting. I mean, I've seen so many people that. <laughs> have said to me, you know, I just spent X amount of dollars on this really cool composter, and I look at them like, why? Why spend money on something that you could build yourself? I'm not a carpenter. I am not really handy when it comes to tools and stuff. That's why I usually call my brothers. When it comes to composting, I mean, it's not that complicated. It just requires a little bit of effort, like with anything else. And the same thing with chickens. I think the primary thing that people need to remember is you can't just get hens and then say, oh, you know, it's going to be like any other pet that you've adopted and just basically, you know, you you give it minimal attention. It doesn't work that way. It's a big commitment. And the thing is, is that you also have to think about how they are protected, especially at night when they're the most vulnerable, especially from predators. Right. Right. Yeah, it it is a commitment. There's no question about that. And they do. The, the, the interesting thing, June, is we're we're about three to four generations away from any animal husbandry skills. It again, right after World War II, that was such a tipping point. Uh, just about all the livestock disappeared from the urban areas where they were before. And and so one of the things we're finding, and I think that's a lot of the resistance against chickens, is is they just don't know. Um, what what's involved and how to handle them and and what you know what care they need so there's a lot of fear there but but it it, it that's one of the reasons i mean after you take one or two uh, either read read a few books on keeping and raising chickens and there are plenty of them out there uh but it it's again it's just not that hard and and what you say about protection especially from predators is really true uh including human predators we we're finding out can sometimes be a problem well, it could, but, it could be dogs. It could be cats. Um, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, if it doesn't matter what the location is, um, it could be raccoons. I oh, mean, yeah. you have all sorts of predators that are lurking out there. And the bottom line is, is that do you have a, a setup 
that will protect these beings at night. I mean, whether you're an animal person or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, the bottom line is, is that it still is an expense to be considered. And if you don't have the right setup, and I'm not talking about just uh, putting them in some little hole in the wall at night, you have to have some humane place where they can be comfortable, where they will be dry, and they'll be protected. Right, and they like to be up off the ground. They like to to, to roost on a perch up. One of one of the things that makes chickens so vulnerable, uh, June, is they're night blind. They are totally night blind, so they they cannot see anything after dark. And of course, the night predators they're they're all out there stalking. So one of the best ways to keep your chickens safe from nighttime predators is just make sure that 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 lock can't be fiddled with and, and opened by a raccoon, or or they can't get in through a hole or or, or dig underneath to get into the to the roost. So um that's that's probably the primary I think consideration about uh, keeping chickens is 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 the is the nighttime predators. During the day um it tends to be dogs. Yeah, or foxes or coyotes. So mm-hmm. so in that sense then my chickens I've got two uh, poultry protecting canines. I mean they're out there kind of watching and and they've done a wonderful job protecting my my flock, but but um Sometimes you'll also need to have a perimeter fence or need to keep them keep them contained where it's not so much to keep the chickens in as to keep the predators out in many situations. Now, Pat, where where do you begin? I mean, uh, do you get roosters? Do you need roosters? Or uh, when it comes to uh, purchasing the hens, how many do you need if you just want to start small? Okay, well... Uh, to start with, with the rooster question, you, you you do not need a rooster to get eggs from a from a hen. Uh, many places, in fact, uh, disallow roosters because of their crowing. Uh, their crowing is about the same decibel level as a barking dog, but it's shrill, and it can go through the night, especially on full moon. So many places um, view roosters as as causing noise pollution and and have them uh, uh, banned or only with special permits. Um, if you do have a rooster, the general rule of thumb is maybe anywhere from uh, one rooster to ever, about every eight to ten hens. It can be a range from eight to thirteen. Uh, I, I do know of small flocks, micro flocks, that might have uh, three or four hens, and one rooster gets by and, and does quite nicely. The nice thing about roosters is they do have a job and, and they do serve a function, and and that is their pre- predator alerts, and and they will even be very gallant and sacrifice themselves before before uh, they'll let a uh, fox or a, a coyote or just about anything get to their hens. So that's uh, they they protect the hens. They'll show them where food is. I mean, they'll, they'll sort of make sure they all get in at night. They do really serve a serve a role. I've been I've been pecked by many roosters. I <laughs> I remember the first time that I encountered um, a leghorn. Uh, this thing was just, it, it seems like it was enormous, but I was a kid at the time, and it got me right in the forehead. Got my brother, Ooh. too. And Pecking? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Jumped up and pecked us. And, oh, wow. Uh, Jumped up, yeah. Petrified us. <laughs> well, but, with uh, good reason. I mean, they are quite protective, and, uh, you know, they're beautiful birds. Well, they're beautiful, and they can be incredibly personable. Not all of them are aggressive, and it's kind of a fine line because... You know, they're, they're, part of their job is to protect the the, the flock, and, and yet, and you want them to do that, and yet you don't want them to come after you or little kids or the family dog. So, um, the I I any rooster that tends to be aggressive 
towards me or or uh, uh, my dogs or other people. I, they, I usually send them to freezer camp. I just don't want to. One, I don't want to breed that uh, that much of aggressiveness in through the next lines. But then two, um, they can really hurt you. I mean, there's spurs. These these little uh, that can be dagger like that 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 uh, can um, pretty well pretty well flash. So I, I don't keep dangerous roosters around. Um, they do happen. I mean, <laughs> they do occur. Should I say, uh, or can can be found? I'm trying to find the right words. It's, roosters happen. About, yeah, <laughs> they I'm just, just happen. About the memories. Yeah, it's uh, you know, they're beautiful and they do serve a purpose, as you said. But uh, depends. It depends upon what you're looking to do. Um, some people could care less if they're woken up by a rooster. Personally, I think geese are more. Um, <laughs> More disturbing, but you know, once again, he's <laughs> the perfect alarm clocks uh, yeah. and the perfect watchdog, so to speak. But um, you know, roosters are once again not something that you necessarily need. I think, pers- I personally think that if people are going to start out, especially if they don't know what they're doing, they should, as you described, start off with the micro flocks because I think that that's a smarter approach because then you can see. What exactly is involved before you get too crazy? I mean, uh, people tend to go nuts, and if you've got a hundred baby chicks and you don't know what you're doing, yeah, uh, that can be quite intimidating. You're right. Well, yeah, and plus the baby chicks will die. Uh, the majority of them, if, especially if you don't know how to care for them properly. And you know, once again, if you're going to do something that you've never done before, doesn't matter how many books you've read, do it slowly. Yeah, start small and, and do it slowly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think people ask me all the time, what, what, how many should I get? What's the ideal number of chicks? And and I think I'm going to give a range, June, but I think the minimum number of, of, of hens or, or chickens should be about three because yeah. they're very social, they need company, and then that allows for attrition. If one of them gets uh, picked off or, or you know, there, there's always something that will love your chickens more than you kind of thing with the predators. Um, but then also, I, I think city codes, we're, we're encouraging them to, to consider 6 to 12 uh, chickens to be allowed within the cities because then it allows for um, for, for attrition uh, and to be have replacement uh, chicks as they come along or replacement hens. And then also, if we're looking forward towards food self-sufficiency, uh, if you've got at least, say, two hens for every person in the household, you, you, you'll have enough eggs because by allowing for... For two in the household, you can the older ones will lay a little fewer eggs as they get older, uh, but the uh, and then the younger ones maybe haven't started laying eggs because they don't begin laying until about uh, five to six months old. So so that's my recommended number is uh, anywhere from six to twelve for within city limits, and that's enough then also to to uh, possibly give to your neighbors or or have some extra. So keep keep the flock small. I think tractor supplied is is. Is uh, has a, a, a sales uh, policy of only uh, you have to buy at least six chicks, and I think that's a good thing. What uh, I think some people are also doing, especially if they are doing the microflock um, style or method, whatever you want to call it, um, size, I guess, they are going in with other people and. People that they find in uh, whether it's uh, an online community or even a local club, 
where they are, you know, talking to other people that are looking to do this and looking to learn at the same time. And it's a great way to also cut your expenses in half, especially if there are minimum minimum requirements. And I know uh, with beekeeping, a lot of the beekeeping clubs, they do that because you get a break on the shipping or you might even get mm-hmm. free shipping. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's just something that kind of makes sense. Plus, it's always nice to have a buddy where you can call somebody and say, hey, you know, I don't know what I should do. This is what happened, so on and so forth. Or if you need a hand with something. Or if you happen to be traveling and uh, have to be out of town for a couple of days, you need somebody who knows what they're doing and can make sure everything is okay while you're away. Yeah, right, absolutely. There's there's a comment in the chat room uh, here, June. It's from, from Walter. He says he has some very tame ruse. And and uh, th- that's a really good point. That not all roosters turn turn aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I- I've got I've got one that I can just go up and pick up any time. And he'll he'll pop his head on my shoulder, you know. He'll he'll, he'll, st- he'll sit on my arm, but he's heavy. He weighs about ten pounds, so it's a little hard to kind of manage him the way uh, way I can hens. But oh yeah, but we that- we had many roosters that were great. It's just uh, the first introduction to roosters. Up on the my parents' farm, uh, <laughs> that's basically what happened. Um, and I always think back about that time because we had two roosters that were white, and uh, one was mean, and the other one was really just gentle. Mm-hmm. And uh, you couldn't tell the difference between the two of them, other than the fact that one wasn't really nice, and uh, the other one was. Yeah, I, I wasn't trying to say that all roosters are mean. They're they're not. No, no, no. And, and the other thing that you pointed out earlier too, June, is that roosters do happen. Even even if you uh, order from the hatcheries and you say you you pay you you get what's all females, the the chances are that the sexing isn't a hundred percent, and then eventually you'll get a rooster. And of course, that's then what do you do? I mean, that, that's a, that's something that always comes up in the discussions. And there are several things that uh, several ways to manage roosters if if they're illegal in the city. Um, it, it, well, one of the things is, is that something we should talk about here. Yeah, please. That's, uh, yeah, because it's a good point. Roosters uh, again, it's the noise uh, throughout the night. But one of the things you can do is, um, of course, always find a home for them. There usually will be someone outside the city that will take a rooster for you. We have uh, the Natural Bridge Zoo here in Rockbridge County. And they they'll take any 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 unwanted chicken and they they use it for big cat food for the lions and the tigers, and that sort of thing. They put them down very humanely. So that's that's one you know passing passing along the life uh, to go. Our, our poultry and garden club, um, as as we have, have several members, myself included, that any bird anywhere anytime will come rescue or or, uh, or or take care of if it's not wanted or find a home for it. And of course, there's always the the, the tailgate kind of uh, solutions where you can go to one of these livestock solutions and see if someone will buy your buy your rooster for you. Um, and then finally, um, the, I know of about five homesteaders that would love to have any extra roosters. And and yes, they'll process them, but um, you know the rooster's life hasn't gone in vain. I guess you'd say so. So those are some of the options um, if you have roosters and. Darn can't keep them. Uh, they're they're usually they're almost always is someone that will help you out and, and uh, find it find a home for it one way or another. 
I personally would prefer that, um, you know, you try to find a home where it's not going to wind up at somebody's dinner or otherwise. But um, well, you know, eventually that seems to be a rooster's fate, whether it's whether it's a predator, a human, or 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 a bacteria and fungus. You know, we we all end up being dinner for someone, some something, some being somewhere, somehow. So that's just the cycle of life. Now, with with roosters and hens, what actually is the lifespan of a hen and of a rooster if say if you had one of each and you you fed them you cared for them and they just spent their life on your farm how long would they live yeah that's a really good question um i think the the oldest recorded hen uh is about 20 years old they they can live quite a long long happy life and and the, I, I knew of a hen that was uh, a little barred rock. She was 10 years old, and she would lay, lay one egg every spring. Wow. <laughs> and and when she turned 10 in that 10th year, she decided that she wanted to sit on a nest, to, to their clutch of eggs, and that she wanted to sit on them and hatch them out. And, and so her owners let, let her, and she did. She hatched them out. She she brooded the little baby chicks and, and mentored them and, and taught them the ways of ways and the culture of the flock. And then just about uh, seven, seven to eight weeks after the chicks were sort of grown and on their own, she she died. It's like that was her last service to to the planet. So, so, so at ten years old, they can still be pretty functional. If I have a hen in my flock that's going on four or five years, I, I can kind of consider them senior senior citizens. Um, so so and and you know, the reason I keep chickens is not just for eggs. So I, I view the older ones as having value. Um, besides being the pesticiders that, that we talked about earlier, um, they, they also mentor some of the young ones. They they, uh, they provide their manure. They they're um, uh, good in the garden, helping me keep it keep the uh, <laughs> keep the, the the soil um, like tilled up, with, sort of in the chicken tractor mode. So they do have value besides just eggs. A lot of people now are, are calling their chickens uh, pets with benefits. Uh, so the benefits <laughs> are plural. It's not again just either eggs. eggs now let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to um, providing um, or just recycling different materials uh, when it comes to their housing, um, I've seen people use old dresser drawers. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen all sorts of kooky things. Is that a smart way to go? Well, the, the uh, hen was rather. I mean, they they can change their mind about what what they consider to be a good nest quite quite often. Which which if you're letting them free range, you, know, you might have to go on an egg hunt uh, every now and then. But mm-hmm. one one of the things to consider about nests is, is and of course you you want you want to from the hen's point of view, the nest wants she wants the nest to be dry and clean and and private. And from yes. the human point of view, you want the nest. To be have easy access and to also be also be clean, and and uh, sort of uh, pest free. So, when you start using something like a dresser drawer, one of the problems that might eventually evolve, and we had this when we had our poultry farm, is, is some of the wooden nests that they'd get little mites uh, would would take up residence in the wood, and then they'd breed, and before long, then the, the, the chickens just either wouldn't want to use it, and of course the the mites would be so troublesome, so you'd have to treat it. So so I've come over the 20 years or so that I've, I've had chickens to really appreciate either plastic or, or uh, metal nest boxes 
because they're easy to clean. They don't harbor those little pesky things, and um, they they're just uh, they last forever pretty much. Yeah, we had we had the metal the metal uh, nest boxes, and um, we used to put fresh hay in them. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to just constantly clean them out, put fresh hay in them, and you know the chickens really like the fresh hay. Yes, yes. Well, well, the other thing that I really like in the nest boxes are these the plastic nest liners. And and the reason I like those so much, June, is they've got these little kind of fingers that kind of poke up that um, give support to the egg as it's being laid, and then they're perforated. So if there's any dirt or, or dust or even a broken egg, it'll it'll sort of sift down through to the bottom of the bottom of the nest, and then the metal the metal nest boxes anyway. You can just pop that bottom out, and it makes it really easy to clean. So, and what do you clean the the metal nest boxes with? Oh, I mean, do you ha- do you have any particular solution that you use, or do you just use soap and water? No, I just hose it down. Yeah, and uh, of course because the uh, the little bottoms pop out, um, I can just take those out and either put in another one or or uh, leave them um, uh, leave them open. I mean, sometimes if you if for some reason, say for example, there's uh, evidence of egg eating in one of the nests, which is uh, vice that you want to stop as fast as you can with a chicken, uh, one of the things that sometimes will work is you just take that particular nest box out of commission. You just block it off, or in, in my case, I just take the bottom out, so there's no they there's no there's no there there for them to sit on, and uh, that's another way to to kind of manage manage your nests. I remember my dad used to take those plastic Easter eggs, and he used to put one in each of the nesting boxes to mm-hmm. encourage the chickens to lay the eggs. Um, do you have any other suggestions if you have a chicken that just is not laying? Uh, well, there's two. There's two questions there. One, one is uh, there. There are things called faux f a u x faux eggs or false eggs, mm-hmm. and they they can be wooden or marble. Some people even use golf balls. Um, but, yeah, we've but, used golf balls. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and what those do is, is you can put those uh, two or three of them in a particular nest where you'd like the chicken to lay, and often that's that will entice them. They'll think, oh, other hens have thought this is an okay place to lay. I'll, <laughs> I'll put my my egg there in there with them. And uh, of course, if you've got a hen that's starting to go broody and you don't want to use real eggs under them, you might want to keep those eggs to to uh, incubate or just just gather them to have enough for for a clutch. Uh, those those faux eggs come in come in handy handy as well. And let's see, your your other question was, um, remind me what your other question was. With with uh, what other tips do you have to encourage your chickens to lay eggs? Ah, the other tips to encourage them to lay eggs. That's that's a whole subject. Um, they'll start laying about five or six months of age, mm-hmm. and of course, if you can have the nest boxes lower than the roosts. That's a very good idea because that way they won't sleep in the nest boxes. And and why is uh, that a bad idea for them to sleep in the nest boxes? Well, because about half of the manure that they deposit is at night, and you don't want that in the nest box because then you're going to start getting dirty eggs, and that uh, that that means more work for the humans. You just don't want dirty eggs, um, and that that's um, that's that's another reason to collect them at least once or twice a day, even depending on how many chickens you have. The other thing you can do to encourage them to lay nests, of course, is using those faux eggs so they'll lay where you kind of want them to lay. You want to make sure that they have enough uh, protein in their diet because when you think about it, the egg and, and the calcium that's around that shell is a huge nutritional 
um, effort to, to put forward. So I'm, I'm advocating that, that uh, especially the heritage breeds of hens need more protein than, than is in the um, laying formulations for commercial mm-hmm. birds. I think the commercial birds, they're pretty well timed to, uh, to be done at two years, and, and they really cut the protein a little short. So I, I would prefer to have about 20, 26 to even 28% protein for, for my, my heritage breeds uh, that I raise. They're slower to grow, and, and I think they're, they're usually longer to lay, and they just need more protein than what the, the commercial layers And what do you feed your chickens? Well, I, my chickens always have uh, pellets available, uh, and I use the uh, game bird finisher to get the higher protein in there. And then during the day, I, I use an organic feed from uh, Countryside Organics that um, I, it's, it's a meal and I add some water or some sort of a liquid. Sometimes it's from, from sprouting or, or uh, uh, well, some, some sort of a liquid. And then that makes a mash on it. And, and when it does that, it makes it a dough-like consistency. So a lot of the mm-hmm. finer materials that they would waste now they can get their beak around. You want, you want their food so that at least they can, they can. It's a beak size, I guess you'd say. So, so that way um, they get organic feed every day, and I only feed enough so that it's gone by noon. I know that everyone has had at least uh, you can get their little cropfuls by noon, but I don't want to have any that's left out overnight because I do feed them in troughs, um, little ground troughs outside. So so that's my approach. I always want them to have feed available. That's why I keep the pellets um, inside the coop. They're in a little pig creep feeder, and it'll hold about uh, 25 pounds. So they always have food available, but then I, I want them to have really good food because their eggs are by far my main source of protein, so I make sure they have that uh, good organic mash. And I usually do some additives in with it, like um, uh, flaxseed or... Uh, sometimes I'll put different kinds of oils in there, so maybe some beet pulp. Um, Do you give them any organic vegetables, any lettuce, uh, tomatoes, things like that? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I grow for my chickens. You know, all the feed, uh, June, doesn't have to come from bags necessarily. and That's uh, that's, that's what we used to do. We used to um, give them a lot of lettuce, tomatoes, oh, lettuce. Yeah. all sorts of different vegetables, and, you know, they would eat it. And the one thing that they also loved was worms. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm i kind of a little protective of my compost bin. I don't know if I'd want chickens uh, rummaging through there. But, um, you oh, know, okay. the, those, those worms would dive down so fast. They they would get some, <laughs> but they couldn't get them all. <laughs> they move pretty quickly when they when they know something's uh, thumping the ground up above. Yeah. Uh, and with water, how much water do you put out, and how often do you change it, especially during the the summer, the the really hot days during the summer? Yeah, what, water for me, June, is is not negotiable. Meaning, my my birds always they have fresh water, and it's uh, I have the philosophy that if if I wouldn't drink it if I were really thirsty, they shouldn't have to either. So my standards are pretty high up there. What I use during the non-freezing months is a is a little um, it's a little uh, tub. Um, uh, I'm trying to think the name of it. Uh, it, it what they use sometimes to feed horses. It can either mm-hmm. be round or sort of squarish. And then I put a stock tank float on top of that uh, that is connected to a hose. So uh, every day I'll go out and I'll just swish it out and I'll dump it out and then make sure it's clean and then it automatically fills back up. Uh, kind of like a toilet float, 
So I know they never will run out of water, even in the hottest days. And the other thing I put in there is a little piece of wood for a bee float, because if I don't, uh, the honeybees will tend to drown in it. But uh, that that float also gives my honeybees uh, water, you know, when um, easy access to the water. Birds and bees actually do go together quite nicely in that sense. Now during well, the winter, I, I carry water out. I have to, uh, you know, I usually put it out uh, if if there's a really really cold, and and we have not had a cold winter this year. But if it's really really cold, I'll I'll even take it out twice, uh, warm water out twice to make sure they get uh, at least one or two good drinks during the day. One of the things that we used to do um, was we would take white vinegar and mm-hmm. we would add it to the water to prevent any type of uh, bacterial infection, so on and so forth, because unfortunately it is something that does commonly happen. Um, but um, I remember my father used to do that, and it was quite effective as oh, far yeah. as keeping their health um, good. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, of apple cider vinegar. Yeah. Um, because it, it, I even take it myself. I'll, I'll put some, put a tablespoon in a glass of water. It gives that fine, uh, slightly acidic taste of wine a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. when I don't want to have wine. But yeah, I, I have a glowing, glowing uh, um, respect for apple cider vinegar, and I, I will put it in their water. Um, and it does help to keep the algae down, as well as it brings a lot of trace minerals in. You know, that old saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, those, it's, apples are just really good for us. Um, so, yeah, that's a good practice. Your dad has a lot of wisdom about animal husbandry. Uh, I think we used to tease him and we used to tell him that he loved his birds more than he loved us. So, uh, who knows? And, um, <laughs> well, I, I have one friend. Uh, it, it's Carl Mogensen. He's owner of the Natural Bridge Zoo. And, of course, they've got all these exotic, I mean, it's a breeding farm, so they have herds of zebras and camels and all these exotic things but his whole his favorite animal in the whole zoo are his chickens and he says when 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 he really retires all he wants to do is sit on his back porch and watch his chickens <laughs> and he'll be a happy man so they're uh, they they can they can be charming and lovable there's no question about that mm-hmm. yeah some some can be more lovable than others but but there are some that are just real, uh, real, real person of a person of a chicken, I guess you'd say. Now, Pat, what could you just give um, our audience, uh, say, the top ten things that you absolutely should do, and the top ten things that you absolutely should not do? With respect to chickens? Yes. Oh, good question. Let me let me get a pencil here so I can keep track of where I'm at. Well. <laughs> Uh, we are definitely um, going to have you back uh, for a whole discussion on Occupy Backyards, but um, just because of uh, the time, because uh, we're almost at the end of the show, um, I just thought that for people that are listening that um, have either just begun or are thinking about it, especially since it is um, not quite spring yet, but it certainly feels like it, uh, just you know, ten things—the top ten things that uh, you most commonly see that you tell people to do and not to do. Okay, okay. I'm going to wing this a little bit. Excuse the pun, but uh, that's a good <laughs> question. Well, I think with respect to the chicken housing, let me start with housing. Uh, probably the, the top things to do are to, uh, of course, have have water uh, waterer or waterers, and make sure they're clean and easily accessed. 
and the chicken water needs to be no higher than chest high to the bird because they have to bend over and put their beak in the water and then they'll put their heads up in the air to drink. So they can't be too high, those waterers. Now, on the flip side of that, the thing not to do is to let them get dirty water. I can't think of anything that's going to cause you health problems with your birds faster than, than having having dirty water. So so water is right up there at the top with, with respect to preventing disease as well as causing disease. Um, second thing is to feed not necessarily the cheapest feed you can find, but the most nutritious feed that you can find. Because, again, I think health starts with, with the food. And, um, yes, you can find cheap feed that's out of date or, or uh, you know, has been wet maybe or something. Don't don't buy it. Um, so go for the most nutritious feed. And a lot of that feed, as we just really briefly talked about, you can grow yourself. It, it doesn't all have to come from the store. Uh, chickens love people food. And, and just about anything you don't eat, they'll be glad to, to take care of it for you. Um, the third thing I think would be with what we talked about earlier, and that's uh, making sure that their coop uh, or where they spend the night is predator-proof because you, you'll lose your flock really fast if it's not, and that can be heartbreaking. So make sure that it is uh, the, the chickens can't see. That they're totally vulnerable to predators make, at night. So make sure that nothing, including even a two-inch hole that a weasel could get into. I couldn't believe it, but I had a weasel take out just about all my flock one night. So so coop, coop design so that it's predator-proof. And then after that, I would say one of the other things, uh, the fourth thing to really do is to make sure they have enough room. I think sometimes people think, oh, they're just so small, they don't need much room. Uh, in, in factories, uh, the factory, uh, factory hens, the cage hens have about the size of a sheet of paper their whole lives. But the, the chickens really need to express their chickenness, and, and that includes being able to flap their wings and run and take a dust bath, uh, which I'll put in as number five, is to be able to have a dust bath. And I, I uh, just want to point out one thing. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, the last time that I checked the definition for free range, it was something like uh, one uh, – it was something ridiculous, like one uh, one or two cubic feet – Per bird, and this is a couple of years ago. I really should contact them to find out if they've no, changed that's, that's their. No, that's not right. Yeah. Because I, I said to the guy, I said, "Have you ever raised chickens?" And he said, "No." And I said, "So, what was the brilliant rationale behind this?" And uh, of course, it's politics. It's um, you know different groups that obviously have financial gain, keeping things as compact as possible, so that they can produce more and. Now, that's what it's all about, the money, not about the humane treatment or the quality of what they're producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So so room is a big issue because in, in, uh, uh, and chickens, I agree, don't don't need much. But, my gosh, give them a chance to, to again, be able to run around. Um, and, and the thing about the confinement, there's, they are pretty well packed in there. Um, and the environment has to be really, really meticulously controlled for the climate. As, as <laughs> but um, when you, with your family flock, don't uh, one of the things I would say do do is if, assuming you've got a, a safe perimeter or, or is let them out. You know, let, because they will go back at night to their coop of their uh, on their own. But if you can just give them, a, even if you use a little. Um, 
uh, temporary fencing to give them a little more uh, space in your yard. That would be a mm. good thing to be able to. And, and then along with the letting them out is put them to work because the chickens do have skill sets, and we'll, we'll talk about that more the next time when it comes to Occupy Backyards. But, but the chickens have skill sets that you can employ, and some of those skill sets, just as a little bit of a, 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 a tweaker to, to get people to call in, some of those skill sets can save big-time taxpayer dollars. And that's something I think that municipalities really need to start considering is, is how we are uh, literally trashing so much of our organic waste. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can divert a lot of things uh, with the assistance of chickens, a lot of biomass from the solid waste collection stream and turn it into topsoil and food, produ- food producing uh, uh, gardens. So that's, that's another thing is put them to work. Uh, let's see where we are. Dust baths. A lot yeah. of people don't realize that chickens, they, they, they are very clean if you give them a chance. And the way they, they keep themselves clean is they like to have a little dust bath. And that's basically what it is. It's a little place where they can get all dusted up. You can provide it for them um, sometimes in a, in a tub or or just an area they'll, they'll hollow out their, themselves to make their own dust bath. But you can put things like uh, peat or maybe some wood ashes, some diatomaceous earth, is often good. It's that's a little. Uh, it, it acts as a little insecticide, and they'll just go in there and they'll they'll preen themselves. They'll they'll clean their feathers, and they'll be just as as clean as can be. Um, the other thing to do, we're on number nine here, according to my list, is <laughs> keep an eye on um, uh, infestations like mites or even little body lice or whatever it is. Yeah, it, sometimes there can be a thing called scaly leg. There are little 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 mites get up under the scales. You you got to keep a keep an eye on um, uh, making sure that the birds are infestation free. And sometimes I've seen it where it just happens. You have no idea, no other contact with a flock, but all of a sudden you'll see a little mite will show up, especially the little red mites at night. So so keep those pests down. And what do, you, the, what do you do to get rid of them? Well, it's it's not that terribly hard, but it depends on what your your coop is made of. And uh, diatomaceous earth, I'll dust them, especially especially first thing out in the morning to get them kind of dusty. Sometimes you have to use an insecticide like Promethium if you've got uh, particle board in. They can get in and breed in the, in the particle board, that's which, which is why I don't like particle board for mm. for coop constructions. And there's a couple other things you can do as well. But but you, you, and it, it's all in city chicks. I mean, everything I'm talking about here is is in the, in, the, in the book City Chicks. And there's there's quite a section there on managing pests. And finally, the last thing, the tenth thing, I, I believe we're on June, is love <laughs> them. <laughs> and the thing not to do is just ignore them and assume that they're they're just not sentient uh, beings worthy of worthy of respect. So so they they do deserve our respect. They are some of them can be remarkably lovable. Um, not all chickens have personalities, kind of like humans. Some some you'll find you resonate with more than others. But um, they, they still are um, they, they still are under your care and deserve your respect and your love. So I think that's ten. Thank you, Pat. Uh, now just a couple quick questions for you. Mm-hmm. When you do get the baby chicks, mm-hmm. how do you care for them until they get a little bit bigger? I mean, should you get a heat lamp? Uh, where should you keep them? Should you keep them in the bathtub? I mean, what do you do? 
Oh my, that's that's probably more than we've got with three minutes to go into. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things you want to do is you want to have your brooder. That's that's a little place where you you're going to raise them. You want to have it set up ahead of time. And there's there's a lot of information on how to set up brooders. And, and I have a whole journal in City Chicks. I go through day by day of what how the how the chicks change, how to uh, how to expect uh, uh, possible problems, how to uh, understand their body language and, and what they're telling you. They will tell you if they're not happy. And I go quite a much in detail into feed and feeding of baby chicks. I'm, I'm, uh, I have a, part, one of my degrees from Purdue University was in uh, animal science, uh, genetics, and nutrition. So I'm, I'm big on the nutritional part. And I think if we, both for humans as well as animals, if we take care of the nutrition, a lot of the other problems just don't even happen. So is that is that enough to get started on, on brooding? <laughs> sure. And uh, I mean, Easter's coming up. Uh, unfortunately, yep. there's this very sick practice of I getting know. a baby chick and giving it to your child. Uh, for what reason, I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I I agree of uh, with the tractor supply about minimum number of six. And then I think if you're going to be just giving your child uh, some chicks as the as the adult or the the, the overseer, you need to make sure that um, the chicks will be properly cared for. So get a good book on on how to raise chickens and and follow it, and uh, just just be prepared because they grow remarkably fast. And I don't recommend bathtubs as a place to food them. I did that, and, and people would come and spend hours in the bathroom looking at chickens, but then there's a fine layer of dust that just will spread out over everything. So um, I usually uh, – but there are all, all many different ways that you can set up brooders, and we can, we can certainly go into great detail on that if you wanted to uh, later on, June. Certainly, Pat. Uh, and once again, Pat, uh, just – so many things that we could talk about, and mm-hmm. that's why you're just such a great person to learn from, and especially Oprah Henfrey. I mean, <laughs> what a great bird. <laughs> Before you know it, you're going to have some chickens there, June, you know. Uh, so I've got to tell you, just about everything I, I've learned, my chickens taught me. I mean, they've been my teachers, and I say that with, with total pride in them because uh, yeah, I, I've kept them for, for decades, and, and just listen to them and... and they they will let you know what what they need. They'll um, so just be a little empathetic and uh, and yeah, let them teach you. <laughs> and uh, for everybody listening in the audience, uh, Pat is going to be giving out uh, a copy of her book City Chicks, which will be signed. So, uh, Pat, what is your website, really quickly? Okay, it's GoodEarthPublications.com. G O O D Earth, then E A R T H, and publications plural dot com. And uh, and if you go to the Facebook page for the Organic View and leave a comment about Pat and about the interview, some lucky person will get a copy of her book, City Chicks. We are at time. And I just want to say thank you so much, Pat, for coming on the show today. It's been great having you, and may the flock be with you. <laughs> and may the flock be with you. God bless. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon, everyone.